we've been talking about for the last three weeks, this will be week number four, a new you. And I would encourage you, if you missed out on the ones that went before, they build on each other, even though each one stands alone, so to speak. But I believe this is a super helpful subject here. And uh, so we're going to continue on about a new you. And a new you is not something you do. And we've been looking at it. It's something that happens to you when you get saved. And this is why it's important for us to know what went before. Because one of the things we noticed is there is such a tremendous work that happened in every believer when they give their life to the Lord. But it doesn't always guarantee that people walk in it. And so we read a scripture that in the Bible one of the writers wrote to the people and he told them, you have this tremendous work of God that happened in you, but he said, you're walking like mere men, implying you as a Christian are not a mere man. You're not just normal. You know, you're not just, you know, not cussing and someone else cusses or I'm doing better than them. It's way beyond that. Are you with me? It's about an inward work that happened that makes you different. And not outwardly per se, but it does alter the outward actions we do. And so we're going to talk about this today, uh, maybe in a little bit different light about the new you. And we're going to talk about uh, focusing on the right thing in life. Because often, once a person is saved, uh, we major on modification of life. In other words, you need to start doing this, you need to stop doing this. And there's a place to say uh, we should have different habits, we should do different things like maybe start praying and reading your Bible and things like that. But as we've been looking at the new you, we've noticed something uh, in the weeks before that when a person becomes new, it's not just pray, it's you're so different, uh, it's like exploring a new life that you now have. And so when we talk about modification in life, here's an interesting thought. This is how it was for me. Before I was saved, I wanted to be different. I didn't like where I was, how I was living, and uh, I knew I started to realize God is the way I need to go. I need to give my life to the Lord. And so one of the first things I thought in my brilliant self, then you can't just come to God, you know, you know, all dirty and messed up and you got to straighten up if you're going to come to God. There's no way he's going to accept you like this. And so I remember trying to quit things and change things. And I did pretty good for like a half day or a day here. And I mean, anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll quit this. I'm done. I remember I was so determined. And we lived in Southern California. And I remember I'm like, nobody knows I'm changing, and I remember I went to a, a party down at Newport Beach with some people, and I remember being there, and, uh, you know, and I wasn't drinking. And I remember people going, you're so nice when you're not like this. I thought, uh, <laughs> you know, it starts revealing something. But then supernaturally from the devil, 
everybody who never offered me anything offered me everything that night. And, and I'm like, man, I'm trying to do this, this new life. And it's so wild, I failed at it. And so uh, within a short period of time, I'm like, enough is enough, Lord. If you want my life, you can have it. I gave it to him, and there was such a radical change. I didn't want to do all that stuff anymore. But here's what's wild. Once we get saved, we shouldn't just major on modification. It didn't even work before I was saved. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't change. And I didn't say there isn't a way to change. And I didn't say there isn't a way to be altered. But I was focusing on my ability to do stuff instead of uh, getting God's ability and, and focusing on it and realizing, because uh, I didn't know, that it could radically change me. And so often uh, when we get saved, it is right to pray. It is right to do things. But I think in the light of the fact that there is eternal life in me, there is a driving force, that's what made and brought about the change. And uh, we don't want to move away from majoring in the work of God that happened in you, that is in you as a believer, that makes you radically different inwardly. And otherwise, we're looking outward at our actions, and I think it's appropriate to look at our actions. But we need to realize this. Uh, when we were without Christ, the Bible said we were without strength. Let me say that again. Without him, we were, we were without strength. Well, what kind of strength? You mean, if you were a bodybuilder or a great athlete, you had all kinds of strength. You had physical, but maybe not spiritual strength from God. And so in Christ, we gain a strength whether we walk in it or not. And there is a way to walk in it. And so we're going to look at that kind of stuff today and major in this, the life and the things he's done in us, instead of just majoring in what I'm doing or not doing. Are you with me? I'm not reading enough. I'm not praying enough. Let's major in this. If I look at a fire, you know, at the source, so if I look at a fire hydrant, I might go, man, so disappointed there's no water coming out of that. But we know there's a massive source. And with the right adjustments, a uh, great force of water can come out, put out fires, you know, on a hot day, you could, everybody in your neighborhood could play in it. Not that you're supposed to do that, I'm not making a suggestion. But you know what I'm saying, there is a source there, and, and in our lives there is a major source of something. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians, the second chapter, and we're going to begin looking here and majoring in how to get this in motion, how to get this dominating us. Because if it dominates you from the inside out, it won't just be you trying to do it. It will be this eternal life influencing you that has already radically changed you inward, it just needs to get into motion in our lives so that we don't walk as mere people. 
And so obviously we can all look at our own lives and see faults and failures and shortcomings. Even the most perfect person is not perfect. But what we need to do is recognize that as a believer, one who has received the Lord, there is a source, there is power, there is a driving force that can assist me in a real, real way and make life exciting. Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, you didn't work to get this new life. You didn't work to come into the kingdom of God. You didn't work to get changed by the Spirit of God inside. You received a gift by faith, and it happened. And now notice verse 10. For we are his, or you could say you are his, or you could say, make it real personal and say, I am his workmanship. Now, where are you, his workmanship? He didn't make you have a brand new body. He didn't give you a brand new mind. But in you and inside every single person, we are his workmanship. Now, if we don't work to get saved, we don't work only, so to speak, to modify and change our life. In other words, just all myself. No, we learn to cooperate with the new self and the new life and the ability we have because he said we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for or to good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have new life in us. We were created totally different to live a different way of life. When he said we were created this way, then this means we should look at that part of us and it will influence our actions. Are you with me? If we are only looking at ourselves and our failures, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Are you with me? Our imperfections, it doesn't help to focus. Now, I'm not saying ignore them. I'm not trying to say, you know, if I just lose my temper all the time, I should just ignore it. But no, I should look at the fact and, and focus on the fact instead of me going, man, I hate that I lose my temper all the time. I should look and go, okay, uh, is there something different in me about this? And I need to then start focusing. Everyone who's born of God is born of love. So in me, there is love. In my actions right now, there may not be. But if I start giving my focus to who I am in the Lord, my life will begin to change. My life will begin to change. And obviously, when we get saved, there is a radical change. And so here in these verses, he said we were created, that you were designed this way. But just like we didn't work, so to speak, to uh, get saved, we don't work per se 
to modify our lives in the sense of just I'm going to adjust things out here. No, it takes actually a different focus. Are you with me? And you, because otherwise, using your will only, uh, you'll go, okay, I'm going to do this, but you're operating just in your own strength. When you start using your will and choosing to look at the ability God has put in you, things will start coming forth and transformation will start happening in your life. Notice this in Acts 3, and we read this, I think, the first or second week we were, we were teaching on this, but it will go right now today. Because really what we're going to talk about today is how to get this new you and this new life to dominate you and to live through you where all the source that came from God and the things from God begin to dominate you and dominate your life. Where the joy that's in you begins to rule. Where the peace that's in you begins to manifest in your emotions. And on and on the list goes. Acts 3 verse 19. This is in a sermon or a message that's being preached and he said in verse 19, repent or have a change, you know, change your life in the sense of your belief system. And he was teaching them to now start believing in the Lord Jesus and receive him. He said, repent, therefore, and be converted. Well, for anybody who has given their life to Jesus, who's heard the good news, they've been converted, so to speak. He said, so that your sins may be blotted out. And then this phrase right here, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he said, I mean, think about what he was offering these people who, were, who didn't know the Lord. He said, you need to be converted. We would say it something like this today. You need to come to know the Lord. You need to receive him. When you do receive him, uh, you will be changed. You will notice this once you get new life. Uh, refreshing will come. There will be something in you that will be totally different. And so he basically said, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here is a huge fact. The presence of the Lord is in every single believer. Whether you sense the presence of God or not, he's in you. Are you with me? It's kind of like this. If the rest of the building, the air conditioners weren't working and you went into different classrooms and you were in the lobby or in the hallways or in the bathrooms, you're like, man, it's so hot in here. But you're in the building, but you're not in this part of the building. And I tell you, hey, the air conditioner is on. It's cold inside the sanctuary. You would go... Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I haven't been there. But the minute you walk in, you're like, whoa, it is cold in there. It's cool in there. Well, in our lives, it can be like that too. He said you do have the presence of God in your spirit. But if you're only just thinking about it mentally, you might say, well, I don't know about that. You're in children's church. You're in the lobby. But truly in the sanctuary, there's cold air. And truly in your spirit, there is what the Bible calls life. Now, we read these 
things, and we're not going to go into detail, but where it said times of refreshing, it literally in the Greek means recovery of breath. It means to get life back. It literally or figuratively means revival. So you could say this about every believer, everybody who's saved. In a figurative sense, you've got revival in you. You don't have to go to a revival to experience a revival. And really, the revival you experience at a revival is based on the fact that you have eternal life in you, and that revival you have is just springing forth. You're beginning to acknowledge the fact. You're looking at, at the fact that, man, there is something so big on the inside of me. You have a revival. You have eternal life. And when we focus on these things, it, it starts to bring it forth. Are you with me? And there are things we need to do uh, to get this into motion in our lives. Are you with me? Because, I don't know about you, it is an exciting thing to be around a Christian who has life coming forth. Not that they're perfect, but you get around them, there's a zeal. There's something. It's infectious. It's more than just rules. It's more than just an explanation. There's something in it. It's not just trying to figure out God and learn about God. There's a genuineness to it. Why is that that there's something like that? Because there's eternal life. There's a revival in them. And when you're around that, you, some people will say, I wish I had that. But here, if you'll notice what we're talking about, if I am saved and I look at this person and say, I wish I had that, revival, that life, that oomph that they've got, what I need to do is realize it doesn't come by me focusing on them. And it doesn't come into motion by me focusing on them. But one thing you'll notice about people who, who are like that that are saved is they do have a focus. Their focus is on the Lord. And their focus is on the new life they've received in the Lord. And that is where their focus is. And that which is in them is just bubbling out. And what's so interesting, that same reality is in you. That reality is coming out of them or coming out of you. And there are things to do to make that reality that's in you after you're saved come into play and begin to dominate you. And I'll tell you what, being uh, under the influence of the Lord uh, is ready, much better than me being saved and then trying to do it all myself. You and I, as believers, we're not called to do it all ourselves. Are you with me? But we are called to cooperate with Him. And if we have a revival in us, Somebody says, I don't know if I have a revival in me. No, you do. You have breath, life from God. Turn to Romans, the eighth chapter, and we're talking about the new you. So we're not talking about your feelings. Isn't it true you come to church uh, and you recognize God doing something and think, wow, that's just God ministering to you and getting that new life out too. 
and, and getting that stirred up in you. How many of us have left a time of worship, a time of hearing the word, and we're like, yeah. But here's what happens often in life with some people is they go back to focusing on all the things of the world instead of focusing on the fact of what God has done, is doing, and is working in them now. Notice this in Romans, the 8th chapter. What do you have in you? What in the world do you have in you? If we're talking about a new you and we're talking, let's say, to saved people, and anybody can get this by receiving the Lord. Romans, the 8th chapter, and the ninth, or we'll read the 8th and ninth verse. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Just jumped right into the middle of a sentence. Now, don't let the sentence or wrong thinking define your life. Well, that must be me. No, let's think a little bit positive about this. Maybe it's not you, and maybe you are a Christian, and if you are a Christian, it's not you. But notice this, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. So anybody who has the Spirit of God living in them is not in the flesh, but they're in the Spirit. They, you please God. He sees you a different way. He sees you as his precious child. But notice this. He said, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. How many of you know you belong to the Lord? You're saved. Then you have to admit the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And at some point, you experience some of that working. But in all reality, God would like you to experience that working. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead uh, has done a tremendous work in you, and He's not just in you to hang out and be quiet. Jesus said, when I send the Holy Spirit, uh, he said, and he called him this, he said, I'm sending you the helper. So you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that did all the miracles that you saw Jesus, quote unquote, do. You saw all the people who got free. Every wonderful testimony in the Bible of change happened by the spirit of God. And you understand when I say that, I mean deliverances and all that. He's in you. Well, then of course I've got a revival if he's in me. But how do I get that in motion? What do I do? How, how do I do this? Philippians. Philippians, the third chapter. Technically, you could say this, I've got the ability in me to live this new life. Living this Christian life on your, on your own is flat impossible. And you doing it just by your own willpower is impossible. But a will yielded to God and a will set on these truths, man, oh my, what a tremendous thing can happen. Notice this in Philippians, the third chapter. Everybody alive and well? Philippians, the third chapter. Notice this in the third verse. 
and I wrote down the wrong verse. So we'll go down to the 13th verse. Notice this, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do. In other words, he hadn't attained to the full call and doing everything he was supposed to do. But he said, one thing I do. Well, if there is one thing he did, then at least we ought to think about doing this one thing too. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. Do you know that all your failures of the past are behind you? All your insufficiency technically is behind you. All your bondage that may even be staring you in your face is technically, from a legal standpoint, behind you. Because the Lord paid for it and, and put an inheritance in you. And that's why I said we need to focus more on what he's done and see who we really are than looking at our present situation. Are you with me? There was a famous lady who, um, who wrote books about healing and things like that and has blessed many, many people. She died, I think, around in the 40s. And uh, she had actually lost her mind. And literally, in having this total, she was a literal doctor, having a full breakdown, uh, she was just a mess. And, and uh, what had happened was, she was of an Asian descent, and she had given her life to the Lord, and, uh, but then she ended up having this breakdown, ended up getting addicted to morphine, because she was a doctor, she was able to get these powerful drugs. And she was bound. And she sought the Lord about, help me get free. And, uh, but she was in bondage. What had happened was her name uh, it was of an Asian descent. And during the World War II, they started interning people in the United States, putting them in internment camps. If you don't know about this, it's part of the thing. It's nothing new. They were afraid that people that were Japanese or of a Japanese descent would rise up because there was a, a large population and that they would turn and turn on the country because we were at war. So they put them in internment camps. And there is a lot of injustice in all that and a lot of bad in all that. But she never got interned, but she kept thinking, I'm going to get interned. I'm going to get interned. I'm going to get put in one of these camps. I'm going to get put in one of these camps. I'm going to end up in one of these camps. I'm going to, and she started picturing herself getting thrown in here and, and her life being destroyed and her being a doctor and all this stuff being destroyed. And she just got so full of worry. She started losing her hair. She literally had a mental breakdown. Maybe you've even read some of her books, Dr. Lillian Yeomans. If you've ever read some of those books, they're phenomenal. But here is her journey. 
she ended up getting addicted to morphine and was trying to get free. And uh, what she ended up doing was she realized my focus is just on the wrong thing. I really need to, just need to give my focus back to the Lord and what he said, what he did, what he bought, what he paid for. She even in her own writing said, I don't exactly know when I started walking free. But as I went on this journey, I looked back and realized I'm totally liberated from all this stuff. She became a profound minister. But she started looking at what the Lord had done, what the Lord had paid for, instead of focusing on the problems around. And that life and that power from God went to work and liberated her completely. She went on to have a tremendous ministry. And, uh, but the idea there is this. She uh, started forgetting about all those other things and getting her attention on the Lord. Just started focusing on the Lord. And when it says forgetting those things which are behind, I think sometimes we only look at, I did wrong. I don't think that's the only thing you're to forget that's behind you. Here's a thing. Uh, for a believer, uh, he favors every believer. To not think like you're favored is to remember something that used to be. That is not anymore. If I am thinking I'm no longer favored with God, then I'm remembering something of, of a non-believer, a non-saved person. I'm not forgetting. And I need to forget that way. Are you with me? And so if, if and here's another thing. He loves us as his own children. If I think, uh, man, he doesn't love me, then I'm not forgetting. I'm remembering something that I should not be remembering. Are you with me? And if he said this one thing I do to make me a success in my going forward is to forget the things that were behind. Well, he gave believers new life and removed spiritual death. If I am remembering like and thinking like, man, I just don't have ability in me. I don't have uh, the full everything I need in me. I'm remembering my life before I was saved. Even though I may not think that's what I'm doing, that's really what I'm doing. And he said, you have to forget those things that are behind. If he put his spirit in you, you need to not be thinking, he's not with me. I wish he would go with me. You're thinking before salvation. You need to forget those things that are behind you. Somebody said, well, I'm, I've been addicted to this. No, you were addicted. The Bible said you've actually been delivered. To think like I'm addicted is to not forget. I need to forget. That's how I used to be. I'm not that way anymore. I'm not that. And somebody said, yeah, but I, did, I, I just did something yesterday. So did that Dr. Yeomans. But she so put her attention on the answer and started looking that way, she said, I didn't even actually know the day I was totally free. But looking back, I'm totally free. 
And we need to realize this. If he put his spirit in us and gave us rich inheritance, and I am thinking like I don't have an inheritance, I don't have the things I need in this life to live this life, I'm not forgetting. I need to forget that way of thinking. I need to not entertain that. Because why? Because that is not the truth. The truth is, I'm different. You're different. You have a supply inside of you that you need to focus on. And you do need to acknowledge it. Turn to Ephesians. Uh, actually, we're there pretty close. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 12. And this is a real interesting verse because it's kind of connected to where we were recreated new. And if we're going to forget certain things, then that means he cares what you think about. And you need to forget I, and not think like I'm separated or I'm not accepted. That's something you need to forget about because that's how you used to be. Really what that is, is kind of being, having a, I don't know, a Christian Beverly Hillbillies mentality. And they said, what is that? I don't know, just kind of making it up. But you remember the Beverly Hillbillies? They, if you don't, you should go watch an episode or two. They're, I was going to say they're awesome. But it's been a long time since I've seen them. But the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, were what people would call, you know, people from the woods, you know, and they were back country and they their clothes were all tore, tore apart and uncle jed went out with his double barrel shotgun one day and uh, i think that was his name and he shot and he missed a raccoon because that's what they were going to eat hit the ground and oil started coming up they became super rich so when you become rich what do you do you move to beverly hills so they moved to beverly hills and they came out of the hills and went to Beverly Hills. And their whole life and their whole existence is now they're totally rich with their old mentality. They didn't benefit fully from their new life. They just they kept their old mentality. And, uh, and, it, and so it's comical how they do it, you know, and how the thing is. But in all reality... When a Christian or a person gets saved, they become a believer or what we call a Christian. They get such a radical uh, inheritance in the Lord, but sometimes it doesn't influence them fully like it should. Like those people didn't even know all that they could buy, even though they had a huge mansion. They still drove their old clunker car. You know, this beat-up thing in Beverly Hills. And I know it's only a show, but the idea is, is they became rich, came out of where they were, but they still had their same mentality. They didn't change. You know, they, they called the swimming pool the cement pond. Because they were just used to being out in the woods and there you go swoon in the pond. Well, this is a cement pond. Their mentality had not changed. And so notice here in Ephesians 2.12, it said at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers 
from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Interesting verse. He said at that time, in other words, before you were with, with, with the Lord and had the Lord, you had no inheritance, you had no covenant with him, and through his covenant, that's where all the blessings came in. He said, we were once that, but we're not that anymore. I mean, the Beverly Hillbillies needed to go to church for sure. I mean, flat out. Because they had this huge inheritance, but they weren't thinking right. They kept thinking Beverly Hillbillies, Hillbilly, Hillbilly, you know. And it was funny because they, one of the bankers, you know, he was one of the characters. They'd go to the bank and say, can we do this? And they had the ability to do all kinds of stuff. And it was funny how the, you know, when they would do something, the banker would respond like, oh, yeah, you could do whatever you want to do. They had the resources. They just didn't use them. You have the resources. Here's what is super important for every believer. Is, is if we do have all this great stuff, and we get glimpses of it by experience. Every believer has to say at some point in my life, I had some kind of experience, uh, and I've touched, tasted, experienced this eternal life, and it was more than you could ever dream of. Wouldn't that be a true statement? Uh, you know, sometimes people forget that. But if we looked and dug, and others might be saying, yeah, that, that's my life right now. Well, awesome. And it should be that. But realize this. Our life is in Christ. The Bible talks about how one of the writers in the Bible that God used, he prayed that everybody would know, everybody who's saved, this vast, rich inheritance they have while they're here on the earth. So he wanted them to know they had an inheritance. Well, if... If you have money in the bank and don't know it, it does you no good. It just does you no good. And you could brag about it, you know, once you find out. But here's the deal. If you've got all the money in the bank, you need to know how to get it out. You need to how to put it into circulation. I mean, if we have a revival in us, and we do, that's what turns people into preachers. And I don't mean somebody standing up here revolutionizes people's lives, is they're tapping into that eternal life, and it's just coming forth. And, and they're revived, and, and it's effective. But here's the thing. If I go to the ATM, I have to have something in my account. Then I have to you know, put my card in. Then I push numbers. The numbers I push is what I get out. If I don't push the numbers, then it doesn't come out. Are you with me? So to speak, you have an inheritance in you. And what you need to do and what I need to do is make withdrawals. Are you with me? If I've got an inheritance and we've been looking at it, and we, and we are accepted in the blood. And God is for you. His divine life is in you. His spirit's in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. 
being in you is not like being spent. Right? I mean, I noticed this recently at my ATM. It, it ha they had a new sign on it. Some of you are going to maybe know this. I, I thought, wow, we live in a, I thought, a good neighborhood, you know, around here. But they had a sign with a little hook on it and like a cable that says, this ATM is protected from being dragged off like it's fastened different. So I guess that's the thing to do is wrap the ATM with a cable and drive away with it. Well, you understand this. Nobody's going to take your inheritance away from you. But whenever I drive up to the ATM, I only get out what I put, put numbers in for. It's in there. People must recognize there's such a value in these ATMs. Let's put a big cable around it and drag the thing off down the street. I mean, it's a dead giveaway if you're three blocks away from the bank and you got a big cable and a thing bouncing behind your truck. Why would they do that? Why would a crook, a thief, a liar go steal that? Because there's value. Why would the enemy lie to you and say, you don't have that? No, if you're saved, you do. Don't let him talk you out of it. He can't take it from you. All he can do is try to get you not to use it and put it into motion. Are you with me? So instead of punching numbers, you have to use words. And you only get out really what you know you have, so you got to think about it. And then you need to use your words. You know, I think it was Tuesday at prayer, we talked about, and it was real strong about uh, God's peace. And we went through verses how God has given peace to every believer to influence their hearts and minds so that nobody has to be troubled in this earth. And it was so interesting as we were talking, and we had people declare this. Because we're all believers at prayer. And we started saying, I have the peace of God in me. It's influencing my heart and mind. The more we talked about it, the atmosphere started changing. It wasn't natural peace. It was divine, heavenly peace. Well, what's so interesting, the Lord said, I've already put that in every believer. But if you don't withdraw it, it's there. You're not spending and so we just started doing it. We saw it, believed it. But then when we started talking it, man, that peace started affecting. It, it stirred me up about it. Uh, you know, even this morning, getting ready for church, you know, I, I was like, I have the peace of God in my heart. It's guarding me. It's taking up residence. It's protecting my mind. It's causing me to be at peace. What am I doing? I'm withdrawing or putting into circulation the inheritance I have. We need to find out what these things are that we have. Like, and forget the thing that God doesn't love me and he's not for me and put into circulation in my life things like this. In my own time, when I'm driving, wherever it is, declare. Think about it. Declare. God, you're for me. God, your blessing's on me. God, you love me right here, right now. You love me. You have blessed me. Therefore, all my life is being influenced by your blessing. As you do that, it's taking the inheritance you have and putting it into circulation. In other words, you don't punch numbers in the ATM. You use words based on 
knowledge that it's there in the ATM, the spiritual one. You get what I'm saying? You, you find scriptures. And, and we'll close with this thought. In the New Testament, and I remember seeing this years ago and being so fascinated that it's written to Christians. Now, the Bible, you know, is for all, but it's really written to Christians. You know, it tells us how to reach and share our faith with other people and get other people saved. But then when you read, you know, after the Gospels, a lot of it's written in the past tense. Now, there are things it talks about that, that are coming in the future, but when it has to do with who you are and all these things, often it talks in the past tense. Now, if I was going to write a Bible, I wouldn't do that. That's why God didn't use me. That's why he wanted me to straighten out my mind with the Bible. And often people preach like that. Like, man, if you could get new life and if you could get delivered, your life would be different. And the Bible says God has delivered you as a Christian. I just need to think right then and begin to declare and it will become a reality in my life. I will start putting in motion what is mine. It would be good for us to do this. Anybody okay with homework? Some of you are like, oh, serious? Like all week? Yeah, just do this. And I'm not telling you to do this in a bunch of areas, but it'll work in different areas. Just start saying, I have a revival in me. Talk to yourself when you're getting ready. I have a revival. When you go to work, I have a revival inside of me. When you're going to do something, you know, and think about it. Just start saying, I have a revival in me. If you're bound by a habit and you're about to do your habit, say, praise God, I've got a revival in me. They said, oh, I wouldn't do that. Well, you're already doing the habit. Might as well start talking about what you really got because you really are free. And say, I got a revival in me. What are you doing? You're putting a demand on the life of God. You're putting a demand on the life of God. And what will start happening is it will start producing and producing and producing. And we're going to close with that thought. I know this when I was praying. Those words just kept coming up. Producing, producing, producing results. God wants that for you. And you're going to have it. Now.